In this episode, we're going to break down the 2020 Tough Man. And I know what people are going to say. They're going to say, why do you care? Why does anyone care? Why do you guys care so much? What's the big deal about some stupid obstacle course that you run your uh, washed-up meatheads through that no one's going to watch, no one's going to get paid for, you're never going to get anything but some stupid belt if you win? Who cares, man? No one cares about this podcast. Well, for me and this small circle, we do care. And I'm going to take this back a second to say, I've seen people care about some stupid stuff. I've seen people really care on the Staten Island Expressway, trying to get like uh, three inches up in traffic. I mean, I've seen them really work hard trying to, you know, edge their car in and get in front of somebody else. I've seen people really care about trying to get that perfect uh, parking spot in Woodrow Plaza. I've seen them circle around and circle around and wait and wait and look for that spot right in front of Dunkin' Donuts so they don't have to walk three feet. I mean, people care about that stuff, at least in our instance, what we're doing, what we care about, what we're dedicating our time, our energy, our focus to is something healthy, not only healthy for us, but healthy for the people around us because we're pushing each other to make each other better. Now, I'm going to start this off with a quote that we got from the Navy SEALs. It's under pressure. You don't rise to the occasion. You sink to the level of your training. I'll say it again. Under pressure, you don't rise to the occasion you sink to the level of your training. The reason I'm saying this is that the results of people's performance during the tough man, not just this year, but every year, there's a, there's a clear correlation. Uh, there is a clear, I'll say, connection to the level of training that they put into for this tough man event. So we had some guys, we had a lot of guys, everybody listened to this podcast last year, we did the same exact thing, we broke down everybody's event, we broke down their performance, we talked about little minute details of how they can shave seconds off of their time. And some people took it and ran with it, and some people took it and ran away with it. Well, the information is here. If you want to win, if you want to win, you should study this podcast. You should go back to the 2019 one, study that podcast. We put videos online, we put synced videos online. You could see all of this stuff. It's how much are you willing to prepare to win this thing. And when it's done, when you do win, it's something no one can take away from you for the rest of your life. Even if other people think it's stupid. When you're done, you get that belt, you hang it up on your wall, you get your little uh, picture put on the advanced training website, and it says, you're the champ. And people can't take that away from you. And just think about from today until that day, all the stupid little decisions that you have to make. Because every decision is going to impact whether you win or whether you don't. It's going to impact that decision whether you hit that snooze button because it's a little too cold. Or you want a little sleep. Or you had a rough day and you're feeling sorry for yourself. Or maybe you decide that you want to go on uh, 15 vacations and miss every training session. I don't know. But every decision that you make is going to impact whether you win or whether you lose this event. And do you want to be a champ or do you want to be just another guy? Now, to me, there is a pyramid to success to winning a tough man competition. I mean, at, at, the, at the ground level, you got to be tough. And that's why it's called a tough man. And I don't mean just tough to get through the event. I mean tough to show up every day to training. Tough to have this will when it's February and it's pitch black. I mean, we push prowlers in the snow. We did sliders in the snow. We're pulling chains where you can't feel your hands. It was so dark at points that there were guys in the program. I didn't even know what they looked like until, uh, you know, it started to to get into the spring. I just kind of saw their heads and hats, but it was so dark. I didn't know what their face looked like. So that's the toughness that you're going to need. That's the bottom line. Toughness to just even be a part of this thing. Then the next level up, yeah, you got to be strong and you got to be fast. You got to be strong enough to carry a farmer's walk. 
You got to be strong enough to push that prowler. You got to be fast to be able to move from one station to another. And then that next section up, that next section up is where you have to have condition. Yeah, if you're strong and you're fast, but you can't be in any sort of condition to move from one event to another and keep going, well, then you're going to lose. If you have no relative body strength, so maybe you can uh, carry a farmer's walk, but you can't do a slider, you're going to lose. So you have to be able, and I'm not saying you're able to run a marathon. I'm just saying you got to be able to work for about a minute to a minute and a half. And there's like many little breaks in between where you're going from one station to another, but you got to be able to put in some work for a minute and a minute and a half. Now the final, like the, 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 the icing on this cake, the top layer of this pyramid, that's the technique part. And when I say technique, you know, there's the technique of actually knowing, you know, how do I push a prowler? What shin angle should I have? Uh, how do I hold a chain? How, where, how, where my, which my foot placement be? That's like one part of the cake. That's the icing on that cake. And then the cherry on top of that is transitions. How do I get from one event to another? So depending where you are in your journey, these are the parts that you should focus on when you're listening to this. If you are an expert, you probably want to be listening to just the top. Right? Like, how do I really focus on getting from one drill to another one without wasting time? If you're a newbie, and we've had that range in this one, we had a bunch of guys, it was the first time they ever tested on one end of the spectrum, and on the other end of the spectrum, we have legitimate all-stars trying to, trying to and succeeding and breaking world records. If you're a newbie, it's how do I lose body fat so I can actually have relative body strength to do a slider? How do I gain strength so I can actually uh, hold this farmer's walk? You know, how, do I, how do I get enough core strength so that while I'm sitting on this bucket and pulling a chain, my body's not continually being uh, torqued left and right and left and right. So follow this pyramid depending on where you're at in your own personal journey. But the answers are all here. Maybe today this podcast means one thing to you, and then in six months the podcast means something else as you've evolved on this journey. And when we get into transitions, one thing I have to note, because we had a couple of guys you know, real good shape, but they had some awful transitions. One thing that we really worked on over the last few weeks, I'd say the last month or so, was working on getting from one station to another. You know, instead of just starting on a, a slider during our training session, we simulated that we were going from uh, the sled pull to a slider. We had people running from one station to another and trying to execute movements from one station to another as quickly as possible. So if you're training on your own and you don't have these toys and you're not working on these transitions, it's good. you're going to be super hard-pressed to win. You know, if somebody's training as hard as you are, but they're training a little smarter, it's going to be rough. So again, think about where you are on this journey. Where does it fit in to what your current training level is at? And then focus on that. Again, if you want to win, if you want to be just another guy, then shut this off and go listen to another podcast. But if you want to be a champ, you want to wear that belt, you want to get your name and your picture on that website, then listen and break this stuff down. If you want to be the best version of you, listen and break this stuff down. Now, I have to say this in case this is a, a newbie listening on the line and they have no idea what we're talking about. What is the tough man? So the tough man, and I'll go as quickly as possible because this has been on a couple of other podcasts before. A tough man is one single competition broken up into five events that all occur one directly after the other. Everything is done at a 15-yard increment. So you start with your feet on furniture sliders and you push yourself backwards 15 yards. You then stand up and run to a farmer's walk that has 140, yard, 140 pounds on it. You carry that 15 yards, which then takes you to a prowler that has 170, yard, 170 pounds on it. I don't know why I keep saying yards for pounds. It has 170 pounds on it. You take that prowler, you push it 15 yards. You turn around, you push it back, you push it 15 yards again. So you basically do a there, back there with this prowler. 
which then takes you to this bucket that you will sit on. As you're sitting on this bucket, you're going to pick up a chain. That chain is attached to a sled that has 140 pounds on it, and you're going to pull that sled to you as you're sitting on this bucket. And you're going to wrap up the event by getting back on another set of sliders and pushing yourself 15 yards. That is the entire Tough Man event. Now, if you're the first time listening to this stuff, or if you're a newbie, you'll notice that yeah, there, there is conditioning, right? It's about a minute to a minute and a half worth of work. The mini break is getting from one station to another. There is hand strength required to pick up that farmer's walk. There's leg strength required to push that prowler. There's speed required to push that prowler. There's core strength and back strength and grip strength and mental strength and dexterity required to pull that sled. And then there's relative body strength and speed required to utilize those sliders. So you got to be tough. Now, a couple of other things in this event this year, based on these guys caring so much, we had to make some minor rule changes. The, one of the biggest rule changes was uh, you can no longer throw a toy through the end mark. So everything, again, is at 15-yard increments. So we had guys last year legitimately taking the prowler, and uh, I wouldn't say guys. Well, there's one specific guy, Joe Morechko. We call it the Morechko rule. He took the prowler, launched it across the 15-yard mark, and then ran about three yards past the end mark without the prowler touching him to the bucket. So we made a new rule based on feedback from the guys last year that your hands must be touching the toy as you go from one station to another. So that was rule number one. Rule number two, what we did was we put all of the toys on one side of the cone, like the same side. So all the toys, let's say, were on the left side of a cone, meaning that to finish the drill, you had to go around the cone. So this really tied in nicely with the touching the toy. I touched the toy, and now I must go around the cone. We had guys last year cutting in front of the cone, and you know people are winning by less than uh, two-tenths of a second. Less than a tenth of a second, all these little things matter. So we care about that deeply. So those were really the, the two biggest rule changes. We are constantly evolving. We're constantly trying to continuously improve our operation here. So those are the two things, if you've done this before, uh, and you're trying to get a frame of reference, those are the two things that came up. And also it came up because the guys just want this to be better because they care so much. Now, to the event itself, before I get into breaking down every single guy, I'm just going to explain why this is a, a little bit interesting this year. So for the first time since 2012, we actually broke the event up into two days. We were originally supposed to go with everybody, all 12 competitors, going on a Friday. We have uh, Joe Trunzo has one of the greatest weather apps there is. It's, it's, I'd say it's never been wrong. And it said that on that Friday there was going to be lightning. And I cannot have uh, James Uske getting electrocuted while pushing a prowler. I just don't have that kind of a, uh, a will inside my body to let that happen. So we said, all right, we're going to move this back to Saturday. Guy said, uh, some guy said, I can't make it Saturday, but I can make it Monday. So what we did was we split up the event into two separate days. We had it on Saturday. We had it on Monday. We had a, a certain order. Depending on which day you went, you went in that order. Now, the way, uh, the, way the order was taken... It was based on a couple of different parameters. It was based on your attendance. It was based on the number of challenge points you had. It was based on the number of challenges you were in. And then as a special self-promoting bonus to advanced training, I also gave you a better spot in the order if you did or did not provide an iTunes rating. And if you'd like to provide an iTunes rating right now, please hit the pause button, leave, and say how awesome this podcast is. Okay, that was a shame, shameful self-promotion. But... The guys who had the least amount of points based on lowest attendance, lowest challenge points, lowest challenges, lowest iTunes reviews, uh, they would go earlier in the order. 
guys with the most of everything will go later in the order. It was kind of a benefit of giving back to the program. What are you giving back to the program? By winning challenges, you give back to the program. By showing up, you give back to the program. Just by even being in challenges, you give back to the program. So the earlier you went, it was really uh, based on your level of involvement in this program. So we broke it up into two days. So when I give you this, uh, this, this breakdown of how we went, I'm going to break it down into the two days. So some guys uh, went on Saturday, some guys went on Monday, but I'm going to break it down as it actually happened. Not in the order they placed, not in the order we originally specified, but how it actually happened. The other thing that you need to know is that these guys have now become so obsessed, not only with the actual event, but with the surface area on which the event is taking place. And I don't mean just the surface area, concrete versus turf. I'm talking surface area because we're doing it in the same exact part of the field. I don't want to deal with that. Like, hey, this part of the turf uh, is a little smoother than that part of the turf. So we're doing it right in the same exact spot. I'm talking about nitty-gritty detail, how moist the turf is. And these guys, you know, I didn't think these guys cared about it this much, but this is like the newest degree. Now they're looking at things like dew point. What's the dew point going to be on Saturday versus what's the dew point going to be on Monday? Is it going to be wetter conditions on Saturday? Is it going to be wetter conditions on Monday? Does the wetter condition really help me push the prowler uh, better than it does help me pull a chain that's wet? So these are things that guys are constantly thinking about to get that competitive edge. Now, one thing I'm going to say, we go Saturday, that whole Friday night, it actually did rain. We go Saturday, the field is wet. And I'm thinking, wow, these guys Saturday are going to have a major advantage versus the guys that go Monday. But the truth is, Monday also was a nice damp morning with respect to that, I'll say the quote-unquote, the dew point on the field. It was a hot night followed by a cool morning. So I'm going to say that the, the conditions of the field on Saturday and Monday were extremely similar. I'd, I'd almost, and I'm basing this on nothing other than the, my feel, my, my one sense of touch, it seemed pretty similar to me. I can't validate that with anything else other than it seemed pretty similar. So there are no asterisks. Uh, there's no, I should have went Saturday or I should have went Monday. It is what it is. And if you wanted to uh, really dispute anything, go both days. You had that choice. We gave options to guys. If you want to go both days, go both days. So without further ado, we're going now, now going to break down competitor by competitor how they did in the 2020 Tough Man competition. So we're going to start with the Saturday morning crew. First guy up, Tommy Judice, a.k.a. Tommy Trey. So Tommy was not supposed to compete in this tough man competition. He and about three or four other guys, they had missed too many training sessions. They were disqualified. They, they were not qualified to run the event. But unlike the other three, four or guy, three or four guys, he was the only guy to reach out and say, Coach, I want to do this. I've had a lot going on. My college football season's been postponed because of COVID. Uh, man, I, could you please just let me do it. Fine, Tommy. You can absolutely go. The only stipulation is you got to go first. Sorry, too bad. So, Tommy's going to go first. He's about, uh, I don't know, three inches from the start point of the sliders, and he instantly externally rotates his right hand. When he externally rotates his right hand, his left ankle compensates, and he immediately loses a slider. Oh, boy. Now his left hand compensates, and that externally rotates. Guess what happens? He loses his other slider. So now he's, uh, I don't know, five seconds into the competition, and he loses both sliders. Now, the rule of thumb is, on this first leg, you're not allowed, you got to have sliders, man. You can't just finish this event without sliders. you got to have sliders. So he's got to crawl back, pick up one of the sliders that he lost, basically losing yardage. Not only does he lose time, he's got to lose yardage and make up the same yardage that he had. It's kind of like if you're leaving for work, imagine you're five minutes away from your house. you got to, oh man, I forgot my cell phone. you got to drive home. That is not five minutes added to your trip. It's ten minutes. It's five minutes to go home, and then five minutes to get back to the spot you were at. You were at. This guy is an offensive lineman. He doesn't want to do sliders. 
He doesn't want to do him twice. He doesn't want to do him two and a half times. This is huge waste. Big dude, huge waste. Uh, he starts this hot thing off horribly. <laughs> so uh, one thing I will give him is that he gets up out of that when he finishes those sliders, and he runs to that farmer's walk, and he hits it like he's an offensive guard pulling and kicking out a defensive end. So now he hits that prowler, sorry, that farmer's walk at 15 seconds, which is not really a good time. Uh, you know, world-class guys are hitting at 8 or 9. He's at 15, not to mention the extra fatigue. The extra fatigue of having to go back for that slider. It's important to remember that because I think that sets tone for the remainder of his event. And he does a very good job with the farmer's walk. He approaches it. It's on his left. He picks it up, puts it in front of him. I'm still really on the fence about whether it's better to one-arm this thing or two-arm this thing. If you're going to two-arm the thing, it's best to put it in front of your body. The advantage it gives you is that when you put the farmer's walk down, you don't have to hop over it. You don't have to run around it. You can just go which is exactly what Tommy does. He just goes. Now he wraps around like a guard going for a second-level linebacker. First time he's the kickout guard, maybe he's the first guy on handback. Second time, maybe he's the guard on power. Fullback's kicking out the defensive end. He's the guy coming in, uh, hitting the linebacker on the second level. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, watch some football. Okay, so now he gets to the high handle of the prowler at 24 seconds. So not bad. Farmer's walk time, 9 seconds. About on pace with what? the best of the best do, alright, so he's doing pretty well, making up for a lot of the time that he lost, and energy that he lost, doing those sliders, so now he hits that high handle of the farmer's walk at 24 seconds, and bang he crushes this thing, I mean I would hate to be a linebacker on the second level as this guy comes and wraps around through the hole he hits that in 5 seconds his transition's also pretty good, but 5 seconds on that, that high handle that's as good as anybody so his time on the high handle is as fast as anyone in the competition pretty good. Now he turns around on the low handle. Problem with his, I have with him on the low handle, his drive is still pretty good. He's got good pump with his legs. But Tommy Trey is not only pushing the prowler. Tommy Trey is pushing Tommy Trey. So what does that mean? It means that it, it frees the video at 46 seconds. His shoulders are almost directly on top of the low handle of the prowler, which means that he's pushing the prowler down. Now he's pushing the prowler down as opposed to pushing it forward. Also look at his shin angles. His shins are almost vertical. They're almost at 90 degrees to the ground. So his force of his feet is going up and down versus lateral to the ground. So Tommy Trey is pushing this thing, and he's pushing the prowler, and he's pushing himself, and he also pushes it a yard past the yard mark. So now Tommy Trey, uh, he does the low handles. Uh, he got there at 29. He finishes that in 8 seconds. Now he's getting to the second set of high handles after 8 seconds. Again, not a bad time. It's not a bad time. 8 seconds is, is probably it's the second best all day. He's got a good push but it's more energy than he needs to exert. He's making himself more tired for no reason. So now he gets back to the high handles, and you can see the fatigue starting to let in. Now he's literally leaning on top of the prowler handles. He's pushing the prowler down. He's going, once again, against Tommy Trey and the prowler. So this is where the fatigue sets in. So he, he was able to compensate. When he's not tired, he's able to beat it with his raw strength. And now he's not running to this uh, bucket like an offensive lineman ready to kick out a defensive end. He's running like uh, me if I entered the set of the ball at our own one and ran it back for a 99-yard touchdown and complete, became completely exhausted at the 10-yard line. He's basically just barely getting to this bucket. He's, he's literally exhausted. And now he's getting to that bucket at 48 seconds. But the good news is, this is Tommy Trey's world, right? He's the guy who came up with this crazy double arm pump uh, sled pull 
Unfortunately, he is so shot that it's become ineffective. And it makes it even worse is because this double arm pull, he's dropping the chain each time. And now he's got to basically roll over and pick it up. I'm getting exhausted just watching him. Roll over, pick it up, and he's shot. Too much wasted energy to start this thing off. And now he gets himself to the sliders at 71 seconds. So he gets himself to that last leg of the sliders at 71 seconds. The bad news for Tommy is that, A, he's exhausted. The other bad news is that his right hand is still externally rotated as is his left hand. I guess the only redeeming thing is that he's going so slowly from exhaustion that it's very hard to lose a slider when you're that tired. So he's literally, with every ounce of energy left, plowing through, and he finishes at 1 minute and 30 seconds. So that's how we start off our top, tough man competition. Tommy Trey, 1 minute, 30 seconds. All right. Next guy up, Joe Trunzo. Joe was supposed to go 7th, but because so many guys did not go on Saturday, they were all going Monday, Joe actually had to go 2nd. Now, Joe, if you remember, he was the number 2. He came in 2nd place last year at the Tough Man competition. And, man, it's still eating at him to this day because it ended, he lost by 2 tenths of a second, and it ended by him not finishing the sliders through the slider line. This is very important as we go through the rest of this conversation. So Joe, he's been obsessed with winning this thing since last year. He's dedicated every, I'd say almost every minute of his life to beating this thing since last year. He's dissected all the videos. He's been looking at synchronized videos of people going against each other. He's broken down the 2019 Tough Man dissection that I did. So this guy has given everything that he's had to actually beating this Tough Man event. What I love is I show up early, probably about, a, you know, the thing starts at 6. I show up at about 5.30 to get ready to go, set the field up, everything ready for the guy. He's already sitting in the parking lot waiting for everybody, trying to set the tone that he's serious about what's going on. So, Joe, uh, and the the comments I'm going to make here, I'm going to say this guy had an incredible time. The comments I'm going to make are probably either nitpicking or they're some sort of education for everybody else who's about to try and beat this event. So, Joe has this new technique that he's going to start with. With his ideas, I'm not going to start with my sliders at the start point. I'm going to start with my sliders a little bit before, before the start point. This way I can hit this thing like a, with a running start. It's kind of like a wide receiver in the Canadian Football League, or maybe it's Arena Football League. I don't know which one it is, where they're running towards the line of scrimmage as the ball's being snapped. That is his idea of what he's going to do. So he does just that. He, he gets this thing with a full head of speed. He's through the, he's through the line. Uh, the only problem on his sliders, I say his form is really good. The only problem is he goes a bit too far past the cone. He not only goes full body through this first cone, he's like full body plus some. You know, if you're, if you're really dealing with the amount of time that you want to shave off at the level that Joe Tronzo was at, this is probably, I don't know, for anywhere between 0.2 and 0.4 seconds of waste. So he goes a little bit too far past the cone, and now he also, before this, he said, <clears throat> I'm really wasting my time drying off my hands. I don't want to dry off my hands. That, that's a waste of time. I want to go, possibly go wet hands to the farmer's walk. But for whatever reason, maybe it's just natural instinct, he is going wet, he's drying his hands off on his pants as he's getting to the farmer's walk. And now he hits the farmer's walk at 9 seconds. Now think about this. Tommy Trey hit it at 15 seconds. Joe's hitting it at 9 seconds. For frame of reference, I'm going to try and do my best as quickly as I can to flip back and forth between years. But last year, Trunzo hits the farmer's walk at 8 seconds. So he's a second behind where he was the year before. And his life's goal is to win it this year. He already knows his sick competitors that are probably going to break this one-minute mark, and now he's a second behind where he was last year. What he does, though, very nicely, without missing a beat, picks up the farmer's walk, single-hands it, he right-hands it, no problems at all, through the line, and as he clears the line, it's a thing of beauty. It's like he clears the line and simultaneously does this uh, acrobatic hop 
over the prow. I'm sorry, over the farmer's walk. And as he's doing the acrobatic hop, he's rounding himself in a way that just like uh, a good pulling guard would do, he's wrapping to the second level, and he hits that high-handle prowler at full speed. He hits that high-handle prowler at full speed. So now he gets to that high-handle prowler, and he's at 16 seconds. Frame of reference, where was he at last year? 16 seconds. So he's made up the second. Now Trunzo 2019 is exactly on pace with Trunzo 2018. Okay, so now Trunzo's at the high handle of the Prowler. He's got really good shit angles. His arms are extended. A sick push on this high handle of the Prowler. An even sicker transition. So as he's rounding around this Prowler, what he does is he looks like he's taking his left hand. He's on the, his, hand, his left hand is on the Prowler, and he's leaving it on the high handle of the Prowler as he rounds the Prowler, and now he's reaching down with his right hand. So he stops this thing on a dime, and then without any delay... Bang! He's pushing this thing back with the low handle. So now, he's hitting that low handle on the Prowler at 21 seconds. Where was he in 2009? He was at 22 seconds. So now he's one second ahead. He's made up that time that he lost on the farmer's walk. So you say, man, coach, there's seconds left? Yeah, I'm sorry, not on the farmer's walk, on the sliders. He's making up that second by having a great farmer's walk, a great hop, and then a sick transition from the high handle to the low handle. Now, if you're looking at Joe's video, shin angles, man, they're low. We're talking like Michael Jordan, uh, Barry Sanders, LeBron James, shin angles. There's a point, I'm looking at this at 31 seconds. His shin is literally parallel to the floor. So his force is going laterally. It's not going up and down. His force is going laterally. All his momentum is going forward. I love it. He knows exactly when to slow down. And he literally makes this transition exactly like at, at the centimeter of the cone from low handle to high handle. So now he gets to that second high handle. He's at 28 seconds. Where was he last year? 28 sec I'm sorry, 29 seconds. So he's still one second ahead of himself. If he's competing against himself, he's one second ahead of himself. So he's driving this thing, high handles. Uh, and and I, again, I like his shin angles. I like that he's pushing forward, not back. And he does a really good job. As soon as that prowler clears, he cuts to his left. It's a pretty good cut. I like that he dips his left shoulder. He looks like a defensive end doing a swim move. He kind of gives the, the Prowler a little swim move with his left arm, and his right arm's coming up. Oh, he slaps with his left, rips over the top with his right, and he goes right to the bucket with a simultaneous sit and pickup of the chain. That's pretty good. It's a simultaneous sit and pickup of the chain. He hits that bucket at 36 seconds. Where was he last year? 37 seconds. So he still has one second on his old self. One second on his old self. But look, we're talking about who's he want to beat. Him or does he want to beat Sarno from 2019, the 2019 Tough Men Champ. Last year, Sarno hit that sled at 35 seconds. So yeah, Trunzo's ahead of himself by one second, but he's still behind Sarno by one second. Now, Trunzo is really good at these sled, at these sled pulls. He's really good. If you're looking at the way he does this, he is not torquing his upper body at all. He's going hand over hand. There's no twist, and it's literally just pull, 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 pull. Uh, maybe there's like a, a minor slight. It's the slightest of slight hiccups, but it's almost nearly a flawless execution of the sled pull. He, and, and he does a really good job. I like what he's doing here. As he approaches the sliders, he's approaching them from behind. He's not running around. He's approaching them from behind. And he hits that final slider. Let's go back to the data at 50 seconds. So he took him 14 seconds to do that sled pull. If you look at everybody's time for the day, that is the fastest time for the day on sled pull. Again, the guy is a, a master at doing the sled pull. What time did he hit that the sliders last year? He hit it at 50 seconds. So now, Trunzo versus Trunzo. 
Tronzo hit the sliders at 50 seconds last year. This year he hits the sliders at 50 seconds. Maybe his sled pull was a little quicker. Oh, I think it was 13 seconds last year, so he's a second off. He had gained the second back, but now he's a second off from where he was last year. But he's still at the same spot. And I think he was a second off because it was a minor glitch at the end. Again, it was really slight. We're talking seconds here. Second, like milliseconds. So he hits it at 50. And remember how I started this thing off. He did not finish his sliders all the way through last year. He didn't finish his sliders all the way through, and he finished in 59.93. So it took him 9.9 seconds to finish this last leg of the sliders. But now, here he goes. This guy is pushing. He is not looking back. Like last year, he was looking back. Did I get there? He's pushing, and he pushes himself like two yards through the line. There is no doubt in his mind that he's getting through this thing, and he finishes in a new world record of 58.62 seconds. So just for comparative purposes, in 2019, that last set of sliders was 9.9 seconds. This year, it is 8.6 seconds, and that is the fastest leg of the day. So far, he only went second, but it's also the fastest slider time that anybody has on the second set of sliders all day. Joe Trunzo, new world record, 58.62. He sets the tone, and he's only the second guy in. Pretty sick effort, Joe. Uh, every comment I made, uh, I'm literally nitpicking because I don't know if anyone can have a better run than what you just had. Next guy up, Pete Baraji in his rookie debut in a tough man. So he's never done one of these before. But even with his lack of experience, because of the level at which he trained, his uh, competitors ranked him, they predicted that he would come in fourth. So that's pretty good. Guy who's never done this before, saying he's going to come in fourth, that's pretty good. So Pete, unlike Trunzo, he's going to start off with the sliders at the actual start point. Now, what happens with Pete on this original set of sliders is that he veers back and to the left. So instead of going in a straight line, he's veering back and to the left. And I'm going to tell you why I think this happened. What I'm looking at on film, it looks like his right hand, his right arm, is doing more work than his left arm. His right arm is able to come back further than his left arm as he's pushing. So his left arm's working, but it's not getting as much work. It's not getting as much of a range of motion as the right arm. And what I think is happening because of that, his body, is because his right arm is getting more of a push with each stroke that he's having, it's pushing his body back into the left. It's also causing his left leg to compensate, and now his stance is getting split. So he loses a little bit of time. It's not an awful amount of time, but he loses a little bit of time, and now his body is going directly over the cone as opposed to right to the side of it. So Pete gets through that line, he gets up, cleans up his hands, and he hits that farmer's walk. Now, if you're looking, if we're putting this all relative, right now, Trunzo's the man to beat. Trunzo hits that farmer's walk at 9 seconds, Pete hits it at 10. So he's only lost a second. But I'll say, that's, it's still a second, right? We're dealing with seconds here. And I'd also say, it's a matter of energy. You have to conserve energy throughout this whole thing. Just like uh, Vinny Ferranti said in the triathlon events, the, the Ironman events. It's about conserving energy as you go through this. Every extra thing you have to do is a waste of energy. So Pete, what he does, he approaches this. He's on the left of the farmer's walk. He runs around the farmer's walk, I'm assuming because he's right-handed and stronger with his right hand, to pick it up with one hand. He picks it up with one hand, and then he instantly grabs it with two. As it's on the side of his body, he then pushes it into the front of his body. So he goes from the left side of the farmer's walk, picks it up with his right hand. He runs around and picks it up with his right hand. As he picks up with his right hand, he loops it in front of his body. Now as he's looping it in front of his body, it smashes against his quad. He starts to trip over himself. I thought he was going to blow out both of his ACLs, but he doesn't. But he starts to trip over himself as he clears that finish line of the farmer's walk, and then he gets himself into the prowler. 
So let's talk about the timing now. If we're comparing him to Trunzo, the man to beat. He hits 10 seconds at the farmer's walk. Trunzo was at 9. Now he's lost an extra 2 seconds. He's at 18 seconds by the time he gets to the high handle of the prowler. Trunzo was at 16. Trunzo was at 16. But Pete, he does a pretty good job. I'm looking at the way he hits this prowler. I'm looking at uh, his shin angles. They're pretty good. His arms are extended. And I just the only thing I'd say is I think he takes a lot of short, choppy steps. So he's uh, I'd say he's almost getting nowhere fast. But his momentum is pretty good. So short, choppy steps are getting him uh, nowhere fast. But I'd say that his timing, overall, it's really not that bad on the high handle. He gets it in it's si it's six seconds to complete the high handle, which is the second fastest part of the day. But now when he, by the time he gets to the low handle, he's lost another second on Trunzo because Trunzo did that in in uh, five seconds. He did it in six. Trunzo did it in five. Trunzo got there at 21 seconds. Baraji is now there in 24 seconds. So now he is three seconds behind Trunzo. He does a pretty good job, I'd say, on the transition. Not really bad. And I really love his low handle. His low handle, great shin angles. I'd say he's leaning a little bit too much on the bottom bar of the prowler, but his shin angles are great, so most of the force of his legs is driving laterally and not down. On the way back, he's making this transition from low handle to high handle. What happens is he kind of twists the prowler. So it gets himself, it gets the prowler like a 45 degree angle. So he grabs with his right hand as he's circling around the prowler. With his right hand, he reaches across his body and grabs the left side of the prowler. And what it does is it torques the prowler at about a 45 degree angle. He needs to straighten that sucker out. Again, not a big deal. We're, we're really splitting hairs, but uh, splitting hairs is what actually wins this event. So now, when he gets to the second leg of the high handle of the prowler, he's at 31 seconds. Trunzo's at 28 seconds. So, so. Look, to be honest, his times with, with Trunzo have evened off in terms of what's going on with the Prowler. He's doing a pretty good job, but he's still three seconds behind. He kept that three-second differential going from the low handle back to the high handle. So now he's, he's at the high handle, and now you can see he starts to get a little gassed. He's leaning up a little higher. His shins are a little higher. Uh, he doesn't have the same leg drive that he had on the first one. And it almost looks like, <laughs> I don't know, I could be guessing, but he's getting like those jelly legs. A version of jelly legs. He's not completely shot. A version of jelly legs as he's breaking away from the prowler to the bucket. And on the from going from the prowler to the bucket, you really don't need to round it off as much as he did. You can go kind of like a defensive end and kick out, just make a hard, a hard angle to it, a hard 90 degree, because you don't have to hit that sled. You're sitting down at a bucket, and you're going to pull that sled. So now Baraji gets to the sled at 40 seconds. Remember, Trunzo got to the sled at 36 seconds, so he's lost another second on Trunzo. Now, the, the issue is, is the, the fatigue you get once you hit that sled. So, Baraji actually has very similar form to, to Trunzo. He leans over. He has uh, minimized torque. He's going hand over hand. But you can just see that fatigue is set in a little bit. Not a lot. A little bit. Just enough that Trunzo gets the edge on him. But he does a relatively good job. He gets up. He gets himself to those final leg of the sliders. So Baraji, uh, it takes him 17 seconds to do the sled. It took Trunzo 14 seconds, so he's lost another 3 seconds. Now, he is at the slider at 57 seconds. Remember, Trunzo just set a world record at 58.62. So Baraji, unless he is uh, the flash, he has no shot of winning this thing. But it's all about how he's going to finish. So the guy, you know, his first time going, he's never been through this entire event before. And now you can see that he is, he is gassed, but he is pushing. He is gassed, but he is pushing. And what I would say is now, once he's gassed, it's weird. Uh, his arms are doing equal work, and he is not pushing as much to one side. Now, I think uh, from the video, it looks like he's still pushing slightly to his left on the sliders. But you can see from the angle that we're looking at it and this very end, the right arm is not doing as much more work 
uh, much more work, as much work as it was doing in the first segment. He's, his arms are more even than they were in the first leg, so he doesn't lose as much ground moving over to his left. But that's an awesome finish. He finishes at 1 minute and 10 seconds. He, you know, if you put him in other competitions, he's a top guy from years past. This is the first time he's ever done it. I am very curious to see what happens with Piparaji now that he's actually been through this thing. I think, you know, you look at, at Trunzo's career. Two years ago, he, he wasn't close to winning. Last year, he came in second. Now he just set a new world record. What is Piparaji going to do on his first time? Because this is sick, sick time for a guy who's never done this event. Pete, again, all of this is uh, is nitpicking for the first time you did it. But now I think as you get into the training, you're going to understand what these transitions are. And I know you. You're going to study this detail and figure out uh, exactly where you went wrong. And you're going to make up those seconds. All right, next guy up. Pete Amorosi. Pete finished third last year with a time of one minute and four seconds. He is respected so much by his peers that they selected him in their pre-game rankings to finish second. That's ahead of Trunzo. That is ahead of Baraji, finishing only second to last year's tough man champ, Joe Sarno. When we broke down Pete's film last year, you know, him and I both agreed that, man, he nailed it. He, he really did just everything he could do with the, the, the ability that he has. And it was a matter of, okay, technique-wise, you nailed it. How do we just get faster? And the reason I'm bringing this up, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a spoiler alert here. Pete is one of two guys that did not beat his time from the previous years. The first guy was Tommy Trey. Last year, Tommy Trey got around 123. This year, he gets 130. But I guess that goes without saying. The guy loses a slider. He loses a second slider. And he didn't train all that much. Okay. Pete... He didn't beat his time from last year. So what we're going to do right now is try and dissect, well, well what happened? What happened? So Pete, he's going to start off in the traditional manner. He's got the sliders at the start point. And I think, and I'm looking at his form on these sliders. They actually look, there's nothing I could say. Uh, it's pretty good. I mean, maybe I'd say uh, it just seems like his arm strokes aren't that long. They seem a little short and choppy. But overall, it's not that bad. Now, one thing, and these guys, I heard these guys talking about it, was that Traditionally, he had been concerned with losing a slider as he got up to sprint somewhere else. If you watch some of his old videos, as he gets up to sprint, there'll be a slider going from under his foot, and it'll be a, like projectiled across the entire field. This time, that actually doesn't happen. He gets up, and he sprints, and he gets himself to the prowler. I don't know if that was in his head, and again, the time really wasn't that bad. His farmer's walk time was 9 seconds. That's the second best time of the day. I mean, if you're thinking about the guy Trunzo who just set a world record, his time was also 9 seconds. So, in terms of the slider, I'd say... Not a bad time. Not a bad time at all. I've seen Pete, uh, if we're going back to event splits, if I'm going back to last year, it's the same exact time. It's nine seconds. So I'm probably nitpicking. Not a big deal. Now, this is where I think it gets a little bit wacky. I know he's a guy that picks up the farmer's walk with two hands. He's carrying the farmer's walk in front of his body as he had done last year. I think he, he's in part of that argument of it's, it's easier to not have to hop around this thing. But for whatever reason, he keeps, keeps looking down and to the right. I don't know if he feels like the weight is going to fall off the farmer's walk. But as he's going, he just keeps looking down and to the right. But he does a, a sick beyond sick cut. So he gets, he gets the farmer's walk through the line. He plants his left leg, opens up his right hip. Opens up his right shoulder. I mean, that is like a sick down and out. And now he hits this prowler at a real a real good angle. And I love his shin angles. When he hits the high handle of the prowler, he is at 17 seconds. So he's only one second behind Trunzo. And maybe you could argue that he lost that second by looking down and the right at the prowler. I don't know. He's one second behind Trunzo. He's one second ahead of Baraji. And he's in the hunt here. 
He's legitimately in the hunt. In my mind, as he's doing this, he's in the hunt. He finishes the low handle of the prowler. He has great, sorry, the high handle of the prowler. He has great angles, makes a great transition, and now he gets to the low handle of the prowler at 23 seconds. But unfortunately, he's lost two seconds to Trunzo. So while his form is good, I just feel like his pace was off. So he's lost two seconds to Trunzo right in that, that little transition of high handle to low handle. So now he's going to the low handle. Again, his angles are good. Uh, his shin angles are good. I think maybe he's leaning a little bit too much on top of the prowler. But again, I'm nitpicking. He does a great transition. Now he gets to the third to third length, and now he's still two seconds behind Trunzo. He gets to that, that, that third length of the prowler. He's back on the high handle. He's at 30 seconds. Trunzo is at 28 seconds. For frame of reference, Baraji's at 31 seconds. If I'm going back to Pete last year, and there's a lot of seconds being thrown around, the difference is he's at this high handle of the prowler. He's there one second earlier in 2019. So in 2019, he's there in 29 seconds. 2020, he's there in 30 seconds. So I think it's it's just the pace. And maybe, again, he's pressing down a little bit more on the top, on the top of that prowler. I don't know. So he's finishing up the bottom leg. He, his shin angles are a little higher. He looks a little fatigued. But again, not that bad. He makes a nice cut. He gets himself to the bucket. All right, so now he's sitting on the bucket. He picks up the chain, and he's there at 40 seconds. Trunzo's there at 36 seconds. So now he's lost another, another two seconds to Trunzo. So now he's four seconds behind Trunzo. Last year, Pete got to the bucket at 38 seconds. So he's two seconds behind himself. Again, I don't think there's anything too technically awful. It just looked like his pace was a little off. So now Pete... Also very good at the chain pull. I've always considered him to be one of the experts at the chain pull. And I think his, his arm strokes are a little short. It just seems for his own, they're a little short. And then twice, two times, he misses the chain. So not only are his arm strokes a little short, two times he misses the chain. And now he's hitting the last set of sliders at 58 seconds. Remember, Trunzo's already hit 58.62. So like Baraji, unless he is the flash, he has no shot of winning this whole thing. Think about last year, he hit those last leg of the sliders at 14 seconds. Last year for the sled, it took him 16 seconds to complete. This year for the sled, it took him 18 seconds to complete. I think those two seconds probably had something to do with the shorter strokes and also with the uh, dropping of the chain twice. Again, I, I hate nitpicking on this guy because everything he does is so technically sound. I know he's eating himself up over this stuff, but I really want to see this guy clean this up because he needs to be in that top one to two. He needs to be there. Not, I want him to be there. He needs to be there. So now he's going to finish up on sliders. And this is why I love Pete Amorosi because for him, he's had a rough, uh, I, I'd say for him, not for many people, for many people, for him, he's had a rough, tough man. But he finishes this thing in one minute and seven seconds. So if you're looking at this, if you're breaking it down, and that last leg, he actually hits it, the last sliders, in 9.8 seconds. It's actually a big differentiator between him and Baraji because up until that point, him and Baraji are they're relatively close. They're like a, I don't know, maybe a second or two away from each other. But Baraji hits that last leg in 13.8. Pete doesn't necessarily, he doesn't really slow down. If you think about his first sliders, they're nine seconds. His second sliders are nine, second set of sliders are 9.8. It's virtually the same time, especially if you're considering you're starting with your feet on the sliders the first time and you're approaching the sliders the second time. So not a bad time. Uh, great time. One minute, seven seconds is a point eight one is a great time. Unfortunately, his last time last year was a little faster. So 
I, I, you know, I talked. I gave that quote in the beginning. You don't rise to the occasion; you sink to level your preparation. Maybe he just had a, a rough day, or maybe he had a rough night. I don't know. But there was just a little, a slight twinge of fatigue uh, that I know this guy will correct. I'm super excited to see how he responds for uh, the 2020 Tough Man, or even how we're going to deal with the rest of the challenges this year. All right, Pete, hang in there, man. I know this is eating at you as much as it's eating at me. Next man up, James Uske, a.k.a. Jimmy Uske. I don't know what his real name is. Nobody cares. All they care about is the fact that he is rocking his 2015 Challenge Champ shirt, the championship shirt. Back in the day, we used to give out gray shirts to the champs. He's wearing it. Uh, Other thing is that he has not competed in a tough man since 2017. At that time, he completed it in 1 minute and 43 seconds. Putting it in perspective, that means that Tommy Trey, who lost not one but two sliders in this event, would beat him by a whopping 13 seconds. So, Uske starts out, out of the gate, he's like a lightning bolt. He looks like he's on like a, I don't know, like somebody put a jetpack on his chest and he's flying through the sliders. He gets up through the sliders and sprints like a maniac to the farmer's walk. Now, people had questioned his approach to the farmer's walk. Forget even what he did with the farmer's walk, but his approach to the farmer's walk. What he does, he's approaching the farmer's walk from his left. He goes around the farmer's walk. Instead of picking up the farmer's walk, he rotates this farmer's walk back to his right. And now he rolls it. He rolls it like he's rolling a barrel. Like he's basically doing a low-handles farmer's walk with that with the farmer's walk. So he gets to... Let me, I should really take a step back here. He gets to the farmer's walk in 8 seconds. That's the fastest time of the day. Trunzo was there in 9 seconds. He gets there in 8 seconds. Now he, lo- he literally, instead of picks up the farmer's walk, he rolls it. He rolls this thing right past the line. He throws it about 85 yards uh, down to the other end of the field. I got a nice conditioning workout getting that after he was done. And then he gets himself to the high handle of the Prowler at 16 seconds. You know who else was there at 16 seconds? Joe Trunzo. So right now, young James Uske, who claims that he weighs 145 pounds, maybe less, he is now head-to-head with the world record champion holder, Joe Trunzo, 16-second high handles. He smacks this thing, great leg drive, great leg pump, uh, nice push by Jimmy, and he is striking that high handle of the Prowler, and now uh, uh, the only thing that he does wrong, I'd say, is he pushes it too far. He pushes it too far past the point, of, uh, and, and it kind of ang- pushes it, it angles a little bit, and now he's got himself on the low handle of the Prowler. But he's there at the low handle of the Prowler at 21 seconds. You know who else is there on 20, 21 seconds? Joe Trunzel. So right now, young James Uske has competed since 2017, weighs 100 pounds, wearing a shirt from 2015 victory, and now he's head-to-head with the world record holder, Joe Trunzel. He hits this low handle of the Prowler, and now I'm starting to see fatigue set in. Why? This is my thought. I could be wrong. He's not pushing that bad. His shin angles are pretty good. Uh, he's still pushing, but I could, I could see it. I know James Uske. He's fatiguing a little bit. In my humble opinion, I think doing the low handle on the Prowler on the Farmer's Walk, he, he, he won that battle. He won the battle of not having to pick up this Farmer's Walk, which uh, weighs more than he does. But I think he lost the war of now getting this extra fatigue of a second low handle prowler. Now, for people that do this, this is probably the worst, for, at least for me. I'll say for me, this is of, of all the events in the Tough Man, the low handle on the prowler is the worst. He's added an additional low handle on the prowler. He, he gets through it. I think he makes a great transition. But now when he hits the high prowler, now I'm really seeing jelly leg syndrome. He's pumping his legs, but they're not going anywhere. So when he gets to that second high handle of the prowler, Uske's at 30 seconds. Trunzo was at 28. So Trunzo gained two seconds on him on that low handle of the Prowler. In my opinion, I don't know, I could be wrong. 
it could be that his fatigue started to set in from doing that wacky idea with the farmer's walk. So now he's getting the jelly legs. He he finishes. <laughs> it looks like he is going to collapse as he legs seem ineffective as he's trying to get himself to the bucket. I don't know. He could tell you if I was wrong. All right. So now he gets to the bucket and he hates the bucket. He said, this is a this is a big man's game. I weigh 140, I don't know. I weigh 85 pounds. It goes down every time you talk to him. How am I supposed to pull this sled that has more weight that's on my body? But he hits that sled at 39 seconds. Pete Amorosi, who is a legend in this field, hits this hit that sled at 40 seconds. So Uski's got a pretty good time. The problem is, this is the thing that's been getting him all of our training sessions. He's figured out a way to hack, in his mind, the farmer's walk. How can he hack the sled? So in certain training sessions, this this whack, this loon, uh, he's like trying to do this horizontal sled pull. I thought he was going to destroy his, his lumbar spine. Now he's actually going the traditional way, but you can see that it is just painful for him. And, uh, you know, he's, again, he weighs uh, 35 pounds. This thing's heavy, but I give him credit. He is pulling and pulling. He's not playing games. He's not looking around. He is laser-focused on this sled, and he's just pulling that chain hand over hand, giving it every damn thing he's got. And he pulls it to his feet, does a nice sprint, or tries to do a nice sprint to the slider. So one thing about Jimmy Yusuke, well, there's two things about Jimmy Yusuke. He's going to try and figure out his way mentally around this stuff, and he's going to give you everything he's got. So now he gets himself to the last leg of the sliders at 60 seconds. So unfortunately, it took him 21 seconds to do the sled. It took Joe Tronzo 14 seconds. So it was a full seven seconds. It was almost basically an event between him and Tronzo just doing that sled. So he was there, he was neck and neck with him, but now he gets to this last leg of the sliders, and he, he's just too far back. At that point, when he hits that last leg of the sliders, he's at 60 seconds. Trunzo has already, would have finished the event at 58. But Jimmy pushes through, real good uh, bot, relative body strength. Again, what does he weigh, 15 pounds? Yes, I'm making it go down every time we talk because he jokes about how light he is, but he does a really good job of finishing and finishing strong. Uh, we, his time is 113. So 1 minute and 13 seconds. He trimmed 30 seconds off of his 2017 time. And uh, it wasn't like we had gyms or other stuff to work out in. He, he, was, he was a guy that was very careful about COVID, so he wasn't with us all the time. He was really working out on his own for a good portion of what was going on until recently. So uh, great job, Jimmy. Proud of you. Please uh, think of a new way to push that farmer's walk. This takes us to the last man to go on the Saturday session, none other than the Joe Marechko. Now, Joe, he's come a long way. A few years ago, he was not allowed to compete because he was not physically, I'd say, capable of finishing a tough man. Then he just kept getting better and better and better. So it's gotten to the point that his peers respect him so much that his pre-test rank, this is going from a guy that was not allowed to compete, his pre-test rank was a 5. He was angry about that. I don't want to be a 5. I want to be higher than that. I want to beat that number 5. I want to be in the mix. Well, let's see what Joe does. Let's see how he competes in 2010. So, one thing to know about Joe right now, he is currently the challenge point leader. There was a day back on March 2nd, 2020, where we had everybody do like a mini length of the tough man, and he beat everybody there, including Joe Sarno, who was the 2018 and 2019 tough man champ. So how's Joe going to fare? So one thing that's always hurt Joe is because of his size, he's a bigger dude, is these sliders. They've been like the bane of his existence, but he comes out of the gate and rocks it. 10 second slider to a farmer's walk time, puts him right in the mix. Remember Joe Trunzo, who set a world record, got there in nine seconds 
pretty cool that Joe Trunzo went so early because now we can just keep setting the bar at him every single time. So Joe picks up the farmer's walk. He's there in 10 seconds, picks it up like butter. Strong dudes, always had a great grip. Gets, to, gets through the farmer's walk, no issues. Makes a nice round and hits that high handle of the prowler running. Uh, hits that high handle of the prowler. Just take a quick look at the time at 17 seconds. So he's one second behind Trunzo. Not bad. And one thing I love about Moresco is his four, his running form is excellent. And as you're watching him do this, his shin angles are just great. His arms are extended. He is really getting a good drive with his legs on this high handle. He is pulling the ground, sorry, he's pushing the ground behind him. He's not pounding his feet into the ground. He makes an awesome transition from low handle to high, sorry, from high handle to low handle. So now he hits that low handle at 22 seconds. He's only one second behind Trunzo, who is at 21 seconds. So this is an epic, epic event so far for Joe. So he's one second behind the world record holder. This is a guy that was not allowed to compete. On the way back, again, I'm going to say that his shin angles are awesome. Uh, he's, you know, there's times where he's not even leaning over that, that low handle of the bar. His shin angles are awesome, and he does a, I wouldn't say a flawless transition for low handle to high handle, but it's pretty good. It's pretty good. So now when he gets to that high handle, he is at 30 seconds, and Joe Trunzo was at 28 seconds. So he's only two seconds behind Trunzo. If I look at where Moresco was last year when he got to that high handle, he was at 33 seconds. So now he's thir three seconds better than his 2019 self. Now, Joe is not uh, a guy that looks at the, uh, the glass half full. He's going to be miserable. But this is sick. You know, he's three seconds better than what he was last year. So he hits this high handle. I don't see fatigue setting in. It has set in in other years. I guess I could say a, a little bit of fatigue, but it's not the same level of Joe Moresco fatigue that we normally had. He usually come out of the gate strong and then just die out. But he, he plows through this thing. He gets himself to the bucket, does a nice simultaneous sit and pick up, and he's always been very good at pulling this bucket. So by the time he gets to the bucket... He is at the bucket at 38 seconds, comparing himself to himself. Last year, he was at 40 seconds. Now he's got a two-second head start on Joe. So Joe versus Joe. Joe 2020 has a two-second head start on Joe through 2019. Pretty good pull. Uh, the one thing that's a little wacky is as he gets toward the end of his pulls, for whatever reason, he goes from this supinated grip to this reverse pronated grip. Then he goes back to the supinated grip. And I think it screws up his timing. You know, I, I don't know why he does it all, often in training too, but he finishes out with that pronated grip. I think that you know, maybe you lose the chain, maybe you get fatigued. I can't really put my hands on it, but the guys that usually have the best times are constantly doing it in, in one direction, usually in that supinated direction. But regardless... He hits this last leg of the sliders at 55 seconds. Last year, he hits the last leg of the sliders at 60 seconds. Also, if we're looking at his sled time from last year, he did it in 20 seconds. His sled time from this year, he did it in 17 seconds. So he's winning across the board. Just, But there are uh, one thing I want to emphasize for Joe, who's probably miserable right now, even though I'm going to spoil it again. He hits an all-time all high for Joe. The one thing that is he's winning every time. Right, he's winning every time. Even with that little slip-up of the chain, he's up by three seconds. So imagine how much more time he can take off the table just by cleaning up some stupid garbage. Now he gets to the last leg of the sliders. This is where Joe normally just dies out. Last year, I think he stopped. like He just fell down, and Jimmy Yusuke is going crazy. Just keep going, Joe! Not this time. He plows right through the end line, finishes in one minute and seven seconds. If we're looking at his previous best last year, we're talking about last year's results. Ooh, let me look this up. Sorry. I'm all over the place here with my data. Last year, he finished at 1 minute and 16 seconds, so he trimmed 9 seconds off his time. Epic finish. Joe Moresco, 
great day to wrap, great way to wrap up the day. And I think the people that have commented the most, uh, like if you think about most improved player, I know Uski trimmed 30 seconds off his time, but I don't know if people saw enough of it because it was in 2017. They've seen enough of Joe's progression over the last few years. I mean, this guy, <laughs> he just keeps killing it. He just keeps getting better and better and better. I know it's eating Joe. Oh, man, I lost by .09 to Pete Amorosi, who was a legend in this game, and it's, it's eating at him. But Joe, you are the, the new version of you is dominating the old version of you. Great work, man. Keep it up. All right, this now brings us to Monday morning. So we wrapped up Saturday. We take Sunday off. We're back at it Monday morning. First man up, Eric Eppinger. Now, Eric, he is a true rookie. He is not a red shirt rookie. He's not a gray shirt rookie. He's not like a Pete Barrage who's been around for a while. This is for, and it's his first tough man competition. This kid is a he's a senior in high school going on to be a freshman in college. This is his first event. So and he really hasn't been with the program all that long. I'd say maybe month, month and a half at best. So for me, uh, as I'm approaching this with Eric, my guidance to him is Eric, you're gonna take the step by step. Your goal is to to finish. Your goal is to not approach any one of these drills tired and Let's just give it what you got. Use this as an experiment as your first t time doing this test because he really hasn't been with, been with us enough to get a, a hell of a lot of practice on each one of these events. So he starts out. He's a big offensive lineman, and he's doing his sliders. He hasn't done sliders all that much, but he's doing them. And I'll say his form is really not that bad for a big guy who hasn't done it that much. Unfortunately, he's a big guy that hasn't done it that much. So the time it takes him to do these sliders, that first slide of sliders and getting to the farmer's walk is 19 seconds. It's a rough time, but again, it's his first time, and he's a big dude. He's an offensive lineman. It's not supposed to be something that he's supposed to excel at. What I love is he gets up, he sprints, he goes to the farmer's walk. Now, I'll say this. He, he attempts to pick it up with his right hand. Now, he's a newbie. He hasn't done this enough. He doesn't have enough experience to know how heavy this thing's going to be. And we've done things on test day, but I don't know if we've necessarily, I'm sorry, on practice days, but I don't know if we've necessarily done it with this much weight. So he picks it up with his right hand, and up. Oh, He's like, that's too much weight. Drops it on the ground, decides to pick it up with both hands. Again, I told him not to plow through this, so he's doing a good job of walking with it now in front of his body. But drops the thing down, and he approaches the prowler. Now, one thing he does, and it's probably just from a lack of experience, as he gets to the prowler, he runs up, then he runs back, and he wants to hit it with a full start. Now, when he learns more, and he gets like uh, Tommy Trey, he's just going to do that little second-level kick out, and he's going to hit this thing on the run, but he hits this prowler now, at 31 seconds. So he's at the high handle of the prowler at 31 seconds. But man, I thought I thought this guy was going to be dead. He wasn't. After that long slider, he has like a, a rebirth. He comes, he crushes this prowler. He crushes that high handle prowler. Makes a nice transition, gets into the low handle prowler, and I just, I, I love his drive. I love his leg drive. He's pound, 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 pound. Maybe his, ankle, his shins are a little too high, but you can tell he's got that offensive lineman leg drive as he's pushing this thing. He gets himself into a pretty good transition. I don't, I don't know if he's pushing it necessarily uh, fast enough to go too far past the end line, but he gets it to a spot that it stops right at that cone. Now, because of fatigue and because it's his first time, he doesn't have the ability to just turn around and hit it. So and I told him, take your time, reset, don't hit this thing tired. That's exactly what he does. So he turns around, he resets himself, and he hits that high handle of the prowler at 50 seconds. And there we go. Oh, my video just froze. Gives it a nice shot. I love that he's, you know, he's not, you've seen guys walking with this thing in the past. Not him. 
He's pushing, pushing, clears the line, uh, <laughs> and he looks like he gets shot, right? So he, he clears the line, but now his legs are dead. I love that he, he doesn't slow down on the prowl. He gives it everything he's got. And, I, you know, when Eppinger played for our team, he gave it everything he's got. He's going to give you everything he's got till the game's over, and that's what he's doing here. So he, he clears that line, and it looks like somebody shoots him at his right hamstring. I'm freezing the video at 104. He's literally keeled over, holding on to his right hamstring, limping his way onto the bucket, but he doesn't stop. Right, he runs a little bit past the bucket, to be honest. He can't control himself. And now he gets to that bucket at approximately 65 seconds. So the time is not a world record for anyone, but for Eric Eppinger, this is a real good event, right? Like, who would have known if he was going to be able to complete it? First time going, not training with us all that long. Now, he's try kind of doing like the Tommy Trey double overhand pull. I don't know if it's because these guys went to the same high school and played offensive line together, but uh, I wouldn't recommend this as a best practice but it is pretty effective. I'm not going to say it's the best, but it is pretty effective. I love it again. He jogs over to the sliders. He hits the sliders at approximately 90 seconds. So I don't think that's all that bad of a sled time for a guy who's exhausted in his first time going. 25 seconds. We, we've seen worse. We've seen worse. And I think if he cleans up that form, he's going to trim about five seconds off that time. Now, this is going to be the toughest part. He's got to finish. He's tired. Uh, he hits the ground. His knees are hitting the ground. And we're, now we're just telling him, like, basically, let's take this a yard at a time. Two yards at a time. Break this 15-yard event into little chunks. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's going about three yards down. Going about three yards down. But he won't finish. Now he loses a slider. He's got about three yards left. He's got one slider. What's beautiful is the guys around him, the people around him are gravitating wanting him to finish. Just think through this, all right? This is a first-time guy. They don't know him all that well. He's trained with us a couple of times. We've got guys like Trunzel that beat it in under a minute. We have guys that have are you know legitimate legends standing around him, screaming as if their life depended on it for this guy to finish, and that he does. So Eric Eppinger, first time around, finishes it two minutes, five seconds, a lot of will. Clearly, this is going to get a hell of a lot better as he keeps going Eric, very proud of you. Proud that you stuck it out. Uh, you know, we, we originally had said there would be a two-minute DQ period if you don't finish it in two minutes. But the will this kid had, there was, there was no way we were going to stop him. There was no way. The will he had and the will everybody else had for him to finish, we had to make sure that he completed the event. All right, the next man up, Fred Carpentieri. Like Jimmy Uske, he has not participated in a tough man since 2017. So, Fred, I didn't know this, but uh, he weighs 247 pounds. He is like the James Harrison of advanced training. So, this is important as we go through, because 247 pounds, that's a lot of weight to, to move through the tough man. So, Fred, he starts off the event like he is shot out of a cannon. He does sliders at a rapid rate, except... He is shot out of a cannon that is not going straight. His cannon is going back and to the left, similar to Baraji, but a lot worse. It goes so far back and to the left that when he clears the cone, he has to run like an extra four or five yards to get to the farmer's walk. He's basically doing like his own 40-yard uh, dash to get from the sliders to the farmer's walk. Oddly, he gets there in nine seconds. So does Joe, Joe Trunzo. So he's still on pace with Joe Trunzo, even though he pushed himself too far and too left. So he's got the farmer's walk, he double hands it, and uh, he does the nicest thing ever. He so gently places it on the ground like it's a newborn baby. Thank you, Carp. You respect the weights. They'll respect you. Carp then makes a nice beeline, hits over to the prowler, hits the high handles at 16 seconds. Right now, he's neck and neck, him and Trunzo, same time. He is on pace to win the tough man. So at 16 seconds, he hits the high handle of the prowler. 
He's got a good leg drive, but I'd say his shin angles aren't deep enough. They're deep, but they're not deep enough. He's got a good push, and I am nitpicking just a bit because now I'm comparing him. He's he's at the same level as Tronzo at this high handle. Uh, when he gets there, I want to keep comparing him to the best. So he gets it, but he doesn't get enough of a leg drive. Uh, and then when he gets to the end, he does the good old hop in between the high handles of the Prowlers to get himself on the low handle of the Prowlers move. Now, and maybe it's another uh, winning a battle to lose a war technique. I don't know. Some guys do it. But I've, oh, I've always felt that, yeah, it looks cool. It gets you there fast. But how much of a good pop can you get on the other side of that low handle? So when he gets to the low handle, he is now at 23 seconds. Trunzo is at 21 seconds. So he's two seconds behind Trunzo by the time he gets to the push on that low handle. And when he does that, I also have to believe that's a bit tiring. It looks cool. It's a bit tiring. And Fred... Carp, uh, he looks a little gassed, right? He looks a little tired. He's got a good push. He's a strong kid, but he looks a little tired. At 247 pounds, is a lot of weight. He gets to the line, makes a pretty good transition, but now by the time he's back to that high handle, just by the speed at which he's going, a little gassed again, he's now three seconds behind Trunzo. Trunzo's at 28. He's at 31. So now Fred is, on the, Fred is on the last leg of this high handle prowler, and you can see now his shins are getting a little higher. It seems like as guys get more and more fatigued, the less forward lean they have, the more they are pushing down as opposed to back, and he's slowing down just a little more, and just a little more. His form is good. I mean, I'm sorry, his, uh, I'll say his technique in terms of, like, pushing the sled not too far and continually moving, that's good. But the pace at which he's doing it is slow, and I have to believe it's a little bit of the fatigue setting in. Uh, maybe it's that 247 pounds. Maybe it's the shin angle. But now by the time he gets to that bucket, he gets to that bucket, he is at... Hold on. He is at 41 seconds. Trunzo's at 36. So now Trunzo's legged him, uh, edged him out by a little more. He's now five seconds behind Joe Trunzo. Now, Fred, he's a, a tough guy. He's strong. One thing I don't like about his pull, and he, he's he's pulling it. I'd say his technique on this is a little, is a little rough with the sled. He is uh, leaning back. And guys that lean back, if they're gonna, if you're gonna lean back, you really need to brace your upper middle back. You need to brace that core so it is stable as hell. He's leaning back, but it seems like that core is loose. Now the chain starts to swing in his hands. He loses the chain a little bit, uh, and it's really not a smooth flow. If you want to go the Joe Trunzo, Pete Amorosi style, you lean forward, you brace the core, and now you shoot those arms out. So if you're gonna lean back, you have to brace your upper middle back. If you're gonna lean forward, then you can really shoot those arms out and keep that chain as straight as possible. So now Fred, again, he's gassed, he hits the sliders. When he gets to the sliders, he is at 58 seconds. In comparison to him, Amorosi was also at 58 seconds. Amorosi, who is now in second place, he had finished in 107.81. What is Fred going to do? Is he going to beat him? Is he going to dig deep? Is he going to get shot out of a rocket like he was on the way there? Well, he hits the sliders. The good news. The good news is that he does not veer uh, too far back and to the left. He actually veers a little bit back and to the right, but it's very slight. The bad news is he just doesn't have the gas to keep up with the pace that Amorosi went at. So Fred finishes at 1 minute 11.07 seconds. Now, this is way better than his 2017 finish, which was 1, one minute and 25 seconds. So he made an incredible improvement. The only thing I'll say for Fred is, uh, at 247 pounds, that is a lot of weight to be moving across this tough man field. And what he said to me is, uh, I think he said, for every five pounds he loses, that's like a, another second or five seconds off his time. I can't remember what he said. But what he did say is his goal's weight is to be 225 pounds. So Fred, let's make it happen. We're saying it live right now on this podcast. It's August 12th, 2020. Are you going to get down to 225? Write it down. All right, next man up, Keith Eppinger, brother of Eric Eppinger. 
Keith, like many of the guys in our crew, is a washed-up college football player. Keith has never trained with advanced training before, so this is obviously his first, his first tough man. His goal was to beat his brother. So as we go through this, we're going to talk about how their times relate to each other. My advice to Keith was very similar to what, they gave, what I gave to Eric. Use this as an experiment, get through the event, figure it out as you're going, and don't walk into any event exhausted. Really, legitimately pace yourself. So Keith, he comes right out of the gate with, uh, I'm not going to say he's uh, breaking any records with his sliders, but for a big guy, for a lineman type body, he's doing a pretty good job. He's nice and smooth, he gets through the sliders, doesn't lose the slider, and then he gets up and does a full sprint to the farmer's walk. He hits that farmer's walk at 15 seconds. Comparing that to Eric, he's now 4 seconds ahead of his brother who hit it in 19 seconds. Keith wisely decides to pick this up with two hands. It's the benefit of not going first. Eric went first. He didn't see how heavy this thing was. He didn't see anybody else pick it up with two hands. So he's tried to pick it up with one hand. Keith picks it up with two. He's got a nice pace. He gets himself to the high handle of that prowler. He gets there exactly 30, I'm sorry, 25 seconds. Now, Eric had gotten there in 31 seconds, so he, now he's six seconds ahead of his brother. Keith does a good job of smashing this thing. So Eric kind of ran back and hit it. Keith just slings himself around. He gives it a good punch. He stops it right at the end line. Unfortunately, as he makes his turn to go to the handle, he falls flat on his face. But in typical Epperger fashion, he gets up and he just starts chopping his feet. He's chopping his feet. He's chopping his feet. He's actually got really good shin angles. The only problem is he's leaning a little too much on top of the prowler. So while he's got good shin angles... He's also pushing the Prowler down. So again, Keith is pushing not only the Prowler, but he's also pushing Keith Eppinger. So now, as we're getting down to this third leg of the Prowler, third leg of the Prowler, he does a good job. He doesn't really pace himself. Now now he's starting to get that I can do this, man. I can do this. Even if I fell down, I can do this. He gets his hands on that high Prowler, that last leg of the high Prowler. He's there at 45 seconds. Eric got there at 50 seconds. So he's still five seconds ahead of his brother Eric. Here we go. Now Keith, he's there. He's pushing, he's pushing, but with most guys, as they start to get fatigued, they start to stand more upright. So now his shins are more upright, and now, once again, Keith is pushing the Prowler down and the Prowler forward at the same time. So it's Keith versus Keith and the Prowler. Now just like Eric, when he comes out of the gate, it looks like uh, he shot. Not as badly as, as, as Eric. Eric looks like he took a full shot. You know, maybe his hamstring exploded. This guy looks like he might have been nicked. So he's, he's working his way to the sled. He gets to the sled, and now when he gets to the sled, let's just compare their times. He gets to the sled at 58 seconds. Eric got to the sled at 65 seconds. So now Keith, little by little, he's slowly creeping away from Eric. Now he's got a seven-second head start on his brother. But here's where things start to change a little bit. He has a seven-second head, head start on his brother, but Eric took the old Tommy Trey double-handed pull technique. Keith is going hand over hand, but you can see that he's really trying to do it without supporting his core. He's just kind of loose, looser up top. He's leaning back a little bit. He's got his torque going back and forth. He really needs to brace his core. And now he's starting to get so tired that he's losing his rhythm. So he's not pulling this thing in as fast as Eric pulled it in. So when I look at the numbers, if I, as, start, as Keith starts to approach over to his slider, let's look at the numbers between the two. Keith pulled it in at... 32 seconds, Eric pulled it in at 25 seconds. If you remember, before we got to this event, Eric was 7 seconds behind Keith. Now Keith takes an extra 7 seconds to pull in the sled. Now guess what? They both hit the sliders at exactly the same time. 90 seconds. Now this is really all about who's going to be able to finish this drill more quickly. So if you remember, uh, Eric, he kind of lost a, a slider and he fell down a bunch of times. One thing about Keith is he gets to these sliders and I don't know why. 
And maybe it's him uh, taking full time to catch his breath, but he's like fully adjusting his clothes, getting ready to go. But maybe it's maybe he's smart. Maybe he's smarter than I am. Actually, I think he is because I told him, catch your breath. Catch your breath before you go. So now he's breaking this thing. He adjusts himself, and he starts breaking these sliders into mini chunks. After about four yards, then he starts doing literally maybe one yard at a time, dropping to his knees. One yard at a time, dropping to his knees. One yard at a time, dropping to his knees. But he won't quit. He won't finish. He drives through the line. He finishes at two minutes. He finishes at two minutes. If you want to relate this back to his brother, Eric, Eric finished at two minutes and five seconds. The difference really came down to the sliders. It took Keith 30 seconds. It took Eric 35 seconds. And that's the delta between the two guys. Now, these guys are novices. I love how hard they work. I love the Eppinger family. Cannot wait to see what these guys, how, how these guys come back. What I'm also curious to see is... Does Keith continue to train at the same level when Eric goes off to college? Because Eric's leaving to play college football soon. Is Keith in this for his brother? Or is this Keith, has Keith caught the bug? And now does he want to be a part of this thing? I know we want him to be a part of this thing. Great work, Keith. Welcome to the club. All right, the next man up is John Goldman. The John Goldman. So John was not supposed to be in this tough man competition. He had not trained with us enough in this, uh, I'll say, training season. He moved... He has a, a, a wacky tr a work schedule, but he brings so much to the table. How could you not have him in? He just brings so much energy, so much enthusiasm. Uh, he brings all these wacky mind games. I love having him around, so how do I say no? Now, what I did say about John last year during this recording was, John looks like a guy who's in phenomenal shape, who, hasn't not, who has not mastered the techniques of the tough man. And what I'm going to say about him this year is, John looks like a guy who's in phenomenal shape, who has not mastered the techniques of the tough man. So let's break this down, segment by segment. So John comes out of the gate doing, far, doing sliders like he shot out of a cannon, but in a good way. He kills it. He absolutely kills it. He doesn't veer to the left. He doesn't veer to the right. He doesn't lose a slider as he's traditionally done. And now he hits the farmer's walk at 9 seconds. Last year, he hits it at 10. The weird thing is, is that he's, as he's approaching the farmer's walk, he's really going slow. He's like really being, like cautiously going up to the, to the farmer's walk. You can hear somebody yell like, come on, like, why aren't you going? So John last year hit it at 10. Even with slowly hitting it, he, uh, he gets to it at, at 9 seconds. So he's beating himself by a second. He picks it up, gives it a nice little trot down. No pressure, no pressure, no pressure. Drops the farmer's walk. Now most guys, they drop the farmer's walk and they sprint to the prowler. He, for some reason, hops around it. Does like a, you know, like maybe like a, an outfielder trying to catch a fly ball to get position. Hops around it and then positions himself and gets a running start, but a slow running start into the prowler. So when he hits that prowler high handle, he's at 18 seconds. So he's lost two seconds on Trunza, who got there in 16 seconds. Now, when I look at the split last year, he got there at 19 seconds. So he's, he's beating himself by a second. But, man, we can just clearly see that he's in such good shape that he's not, he's not everywhere he should be. He's not at the same point he should be. I do like his pump. His leg drives pretty good. I'd say that his transition is relatively good from this high handle to the low handle. So now he gets, it, gets to the low handle. He's at 25 seconds, but... Uh, I think the rate at which he hit that high handle, because he didn't hit it full speed ahead, I think it slowed down the pace of what he went. So now Trunzo has gained even more time on him. So Goldman hits it at 25, the low handle, uh, and Trunzo had hit it at 21. But he picks it back up. He hits the low handle, and now he's got a great leg drive. He's got great forward lean. If you're looking at the video, his, he's not leaning on top of the prowler. He does such a good job at this that he actually finishes this leg of the event as fast as anyone who's done it. So his low handle time is, uh, sorry, it's eight seconds. I'm in the wrong year. It's seven seconds. I was right. It's as fast as anyone who done it. Last year it was eight seconds. This year it's seven seconds. 
So his low handle time is great. Great, great, great shin angles. Now when he comes back with the high handle, he's a little more vertical. I almost feel like he's leaving his hips behind him, and he's pushing it with just his arms and his legs going along for the ride. And I really believe that it slows him down. Because now when he gets to that bucket to pull the sled, he is at 42 seconds. He's lost time. He has lost time to Trunzo, who's now 6 seconds ahead of him at 36 seconds. But John does a, I'll say this, he does a pretty good job. Instead of Most guys have leaned, backward, leaned forward, he's leaning back. He does a good job of getting a good rhythm, but for some reason, and I'm going to come back to the good job, but at, for some reason he looks to his right while he's doing this. I don't know why. And Sarnia even yells at him, hey, what are you, like, focus, man. Everything is right ahead of you. Right after he looks to his right, you'll see the chain slips. And he drops the chain. And now, he slowed down just a bit. Now, what he does is he gives it two giant yanks. One, boom, two. He completely makes up for that lost time. Now, this is a gamble. Because if you pull that thing too far in, and it gets caught up on your feet, your foot gets chain caught on the chain, you lose. So he, he does a great job. He takes the risk. Uh, let's see if he gets the reward. So now, he gets himself to the sliders, that leg, last leg of sliders, at 58 seconds. That puts him at an exact tie with Pete Amorosi and Fred Carpenteri. What's sick is that Goldman's time on the sled, even though he looked to his right and dropped the chain, it was the second best time of the day. It was 16 seconds versus the best time of 14 seconds. So the question is, is he going to kick butt on these last set of sliders? Or is he going to do as he's always done and lose all the sliders and legitimately uh, crap the bit? Well, he starts off great. He gets the sliders. He's pushing. He's pushing. He's pushing. He's pushing. He's pushing. He's pushing. He's going in a straight line. Life is good. Life is good. He's two yards away. Oh! There goes the, the right slider. He's about two yards away from finishing, and boop, there goes the right slider. Why? Why does that happen? As we're looking at the film, just kind of the film cuts off a little bit, but you can see that his, his left hand uh, shoots offline. His right ankle compensates. Beep, pops out. Left slider pops out. Then the right slider pops out, but luckily it pops out right as he's falling across the end line. John finishes in one minute and where am I? One minute and nine seconds. One minute and nine seconds. This beats his previous best of one minute, 11 seconds. There's a lot of time left on the table for this guy. A lot. The question is, what is he going to do with it? Can he continue to train on his own and master the transitions? I don't know. I hope so. He's a smart guy. He's clearly in sick shape. Will he continue to train on his own and work on the transitions? I hope so. I want him to be a part of this program. But I'm really proud of how he came in. I think that now he knows. Now he knows what he can do. I think he was a little hesitant. Am I going to burn out? Do I need to pace myself? Now he knows. I just got to go, 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 and work on those transitions. Goldman, I am officially also, I am calling you out. Let's go, man. You should be a top one to three guy easily if you master the transitions, which, hey, you got to do it on your own, man. You got to have the will to work on that stuff. And obviously, when your schedule allows, come down, train with us. We'll work on it together. Next man up, Joe Derrida, the first man ever in advanced training. Now, this is he's been in advanced training since it started, but this is his first ever tough man. Now, he's been in strongman competitions, but this is his first ever tough man. If you could imagine what Joe Derrida looks like, he was a center in college. So just picture that in your mind. So for him, there's certain events that aren't like uh, the greatest thing in the world, like sliders. So what do we do? He starts off. He's actually doing pretty good on the sliders. He's got a nice shimmy. 
he doesn't lose a slider. He's got pretty good pace. I'm not going to say that he's uh, breaking the world record, but he hits that farmer's walk in 11 seconds. Then he gets to the farmer's walk, even though he can pick it up with two hand, with one hand. He picks it up with two, puts it in front of his body, and sprints. Man, it was a thing of beauty. He sprints through the line and cuts to his left as he's dropping off the farmer's walk. I love it. So now he hits that high-hander prowler. He's at 19 seconds. Putting in a frame of reference, Trunzo's at 16 seconds. So he's only three seconds behind the world record holder, Joe Trunzo. Now, this is uh, one thing about what Joe's doing, Joe Deradita, as he's getting into this high handle of the farmer's wall, sorry, the prowler, his shin angles are a little high. So he's kind of pushing down on the prowler, and as the prowler is uh, moving, it's going down and not forward. So he's kind of pushing it against himself. He's got great leg drive. He's an offensive lineman. I'm just saying that if he's a little lower, if he has a better shit angle, he's going to have more of a horizontal push and move it across the field. He makes he pushes also pushes it a little bit too far past the line. As he pushes it too far past the line and he has to get to the low handle, it actually screws up his momentum because he pushed it so far, he's going to run around and it kind of catches him a little bit, and he doesn't have a good head of steam going into the low handle push. Having said that, I do love the drive of his legs on the low handle push. He has great shin angles. Unfortunately, though, his body is directly on top of the prowler uh, low handle bar. So again, he's pushing down on the prowler. So now it's Joe versus Joe and the prowler. So then he starts to... You can see when he's starting to fatigue. It's like right at the very end of that low handle of the prowler. As he transitions over to the high handle of the prowler, you can see he takes a little bit of a deep breath. But again, uh, like most other guys, as they get fatigued, their body starts to come up and their shin angles start to come up. So he hits that second high handle at about 36 seconds. Now this puts him ahead of Tommy Trey, puts him ahead of Eric Eppinger, Keith Eppinger, but it's, it's a slower time compared to everybody else. I get it. It's, it's tough to start off with that, that slider for a big guy, and this is a place where you'd, you'd want to pick it up, but he looks like he's getting a little bit gassed. You can see as he's starting to finish this leg of the event, he is gassed. Okay, now he gets himself over to the sled. He is not like the Eppingers where he looks like he got shot. He gets himself to the sled. Now, for me, this is where I thought Joe was going to take it to a different level because of what he's done in tough man competitions. Oddly, Joe is using a pronated grip, and I'll say a... Uh, for lack of, in our world, the pronated grip would be where your palms are facing out. Maybe it's a reverse grip as he's pulling the sled. Most guys have their palms facing in. Joe started off with his palms facing out, and I just feel like there's not a, an easy way to get a real good rhythm, a continuous motion on that thing as your palms are continuing to face out. So he pulls. He pulls well, but I feel like it's impossible to pull at the fastest of the fast rates. So he gets that sled done in about 21 seconds. To put that in perspective, Trunzo got it done in 14 seconds. If you ask me who can row more weight in the gym, I'll say 100 times out of 100 times it's Joe Derrida. But if you, it's clear, based on the speed of pulling this sled and the way they're pulling the sled, Trunzo had a clear advantage. So, look, this is, this is Derrida's rookie year. You think you know until you're actually in the competition. I know Derrida is a guy who's done formal competitions, so he's going to dissect this film and break it down. And, uh, you know, I'm just very curious to see how his time's going to adjust if and when he changes his hand placement. It's also interesting to note that Derrida also moved. He lives in New Jersey, so I, I want to see this guy back in action hard, even though it's not the simplest thing in the world to get here. He's just uh, he's a maniac and brings so much to what we're doing. Plus, I don't think he felt really good about it about how he finished this thing, even though I thought it was great for his first time. He's just a sick competitor. Uh, it wouldn't be good enough for him. So anyway, he gets to his last leg of the sliders. As he gets to that last leg of the sliders, he is at 71 seconds. That actually puts him at an exact equal time with Tommy Trey. So they both hit it at 71 seconds. One thing I like about Joe, 
Uh, you know, he's not like he's slowing down between drills. He's just going to keep chugging. He's going to keep chugging. He's going to keep chugging. And he chugs till he's got about, I'd say about five yards left on the slider. His knee drops, but it's like only for a second. Boom, he's right back up. His knee drops, and he's like, I'm not giving up. His knee drops again. I'm not giving up. And then he plows himself through the line. He finishes in one minute, 29 seconds. Uh, that actually puts him ahead of Tommy Trey, who finished in one minute and 30 seconds. So for me, Joe Derrida, first of all, these... These type of competitions are not really designed for a guy who's on one side of the extreme or the other. If you're super small, it's rough. If you're super big, it's rough. But, uh, Joe, I'd put him on the, the big side. Offensive lineman, center. But I also know that he is a guy that likes to, like Trunzo, break down technique, dissect events. What I want to know is what he's going to change the next time he goes around. I mean, he's gotten infinitely better at sliders since he started training with us. He's gotten better at so much stuff. What I want to know is, does he change the way he pulls the chain? Does he change his approach on the prowler? Does he change to a single-handed farmer's walk? I don't know. His farmer's walk was pretty sick. I honestly don't know, but I cannot wait to see it just because of the uh, the tenacity that this guy has. So, Derrida, what do you got, man? Uh, I'm expecting big numbers out of you next year. This brings us to our last competitor, Joe Sarno. He's the 2018 Tough Man champ. He's the 2019 Tough Man champ. He's going for his third consecutive Tough Man championship. There's only one problem. There's this guy named Joe Trunzo who has made it his life's goal to beat Joe Sarno and not let this happen again. And this guy, Joe Trunzo, he's broken Joe Sarno's world record, and now he's sitting at 58.62 seconds. So now Joe Sarno, he basically, he's got everything to lose. He's got to beat this time, and he can't make a mistake. So how is he going to approach it? Well... What I love is that Joe Sarno, even though he set the world record the year before, he's always looking to learn. And he's picked up a couple things from what Trunzo did, which is crazy, right? He beat Trunzo, and he's stealing some of his techniques. So let's break this down. So Sarno, he starts off with his sliders, exactly like Trunzo did. He starts about a yard ahead of the cone, and boom, he's off. And he's flying. He's flying, he's flying, he's flying, doesn't lose a slider, gets through the line, gets up off the ground without a snap. Bang, picks up the farmer's walk, and now he is at the farmer's walk at 8 seconds. He's one set a second ahead of Trunzo. So going into the farmer's walk, Sarno's at 8, Trunzo's at 9. Trunzo, Sarno picks up the farmer's walk like water, and just like Trunzo, drops it on the ground, hops over it without getting caught up, and goes right into the high handle of the prowler. He hits that high handle at 15 seconds, Trunzo was at 16. So now Sarno is one full second ahead of Joe Trunzo. Sarno's got a nice push. He's got good leg drive for a guy his size. It's actually pretty good shin angles. The only difference between Sarno and Trunzo is that his transition is not as completely crisp and clean. Trunzo caught that baby right at the cone. Sarno goes about, I don't know, maybe about a foot beyond it. This stuff will start to add up. So now, when they hit the low handle on that prowler, they're both at 21 seconds. Now they're, now they're dead even. Sarno gets into that low handle. Does not miss a beat, though. It's not like he's struggling with this thing. He's got great leg drive. He's got great shin angles. He's got a good push, and he stops it. But again, he's, he's great, but he's not perfect, right? Trunzel's transitions were almost absolutely perfect. Sarno's are great. He gets maybe about six inches from the line, flips himself around, but they're both at exactly 28 seconds. If you're asking my professional opinion, I think Sarno is moving from one end of this obstacle course to the other faster, but Trunzel's transitions are making up that time. So Sarno might be a, maybe he's a faster dude. Maybe he's a stronger dude. I don't know. 
but Trunzo is making up for it in his transitions. But it's not like Sarno's slowing down. They're still neck and neck. Sarno's got a good leg drive. He's got a good pump. Yeah, like everybody else, he gets a little higher as he gets a little tired, but it's still pretty good. He gets himself to the bucket at exactly 36 seconds. Guess who else got there in 30 seconds? Joe Trunzo. These guys are literally at the same exact time at the same exact event. Now let's take it back to 2019. Trunzo sets this unbelievable record for sled pull with 13 seconds. Sarno gets 16 seconds. Sarno has always traditionally been this guy who's wanted to kill the sled. Like, I'm not talking about, like, have a great time. I mean kill the sled. If you look back at old footage, there's times where he's, like, in the tough man. He dominates the sled, pulls it all the way into his body, and, like, stares it down. I mean, I think there might have been a year where he could have won the whole thing, except he decided he wanted to, to give a grill face to this sled after he finished. So anyway, he's also been a guy who's traditionally leaned back, and I think that 16 seconds bothered him. I think he went back. I think he dissected what Trunzo did. So Trunzo always had the fun forward lean. Trunzo had the, that straight-ahead pull as opposed to that sway, and uh, look who's doing it now. As we <laughs> Sarno sits down, now he's got a forward lean. And now he's taken the technique of Trunzo, which is scary because he was already pretty good at this stuff, and now he's even better. He's pulling, he's pulling, he's pulling. Now one thing he's always done, at the end of his movements, he likes to give that one big yank. Hell, I hear him yelling at guys at training, one big one, one big one. Well, he gives it this one big one, and whoop, uh-oh, it stops about three inches short of his feet. So you give it that one big yank, it's, it's, it's kind of like taking all your money and putting it on the number uh, 13 on a roulette table. Right? It's not red or black. I mean, you're putting it all down on one number. If it works, you're a king. If it fails, you got to have some explaining to do at home. Well, it falls a bit short. Ah! Now he's got to stick his feet out, which he does pretty smart. He also gives it a simultaneous pull. He doesn't lose that much time, but it's just enough time. Because that was a great sled pull, but it was just enough time. So now he gets to the sliders at 50 seconds. Trunzo had gotten to the sliders at 50 seconds. So now they are legitimately at the same exact time as they get to the final leg of this event. Sarno gets on. I'd say almost a flawless execution of popping onto the sliders. He pushes himself full body through. Bang! Flawless execution. Finishes at 59.23. To remind you, Trunzo finished at 58.62. So by a little less than 0.6 seconds at Six-tenths of a second, Joe Trunzo is the 2020 Tough Man champ. Sick effort by Sarno. Sick effort by Trunzo. What I love is that these guys are legitimately learning and feeding off each other. We never thought anybody break a minute. Last year, we had two guys break a minute. Then now I'm, now I'm thinking both of these guys can break 55 seconds. And there's other guys on this list that I'm certain are going to break a minute if they study and dissect this film. But what makes the great ones great is they are not complacent. These two guys keep pushing each other. They keep learning from each other. And I, I am excited for the 55-second mark. That is, that is my next prediction. That is the next mark of greatness in advanced training. There are still seconds on the clock. Nobody ran a perfect run. I'd say uh, people are close. They're good. I am legitimately nitpicking, but there's 55 seconds out there. I hope you guys enjoyed this. I am legitimately exhausted talking through this. Uh, this is probably going to be listened to by only the 12 people that did this, but study it up, man. I cannot wait. There's 364 more days left until the next Tough Man. Let's go.